It was the summer of 2010, and I was working at a local summer camp as one of the so-called camp pastors. If you know anything about my views on camping, then you can guess what that experience was like for me. Uh, I and the other camp pastors taught the kids in the morning and evening, and it was our job to help care for the many college-age counselors who had dedicated their summer to serve the campers. There was a weekly time of worship, singing and teaching from Scripture for the counselors and staff, and one evening in particular stands out in my memory. I entered the gathering led by a well-meaning young man, a fellow camp pastor, who opened the meeting in a way that surprised me. He informed us that he was going to play some worship music on his stereo, and he invited us all to get comfortable. Sit on the floor if you wish, he said. Lay down if you want to. And he invited us to empty our minds. He encouraged us, empty your mind, soak in the long-form sort of ethereal worship music, and look for a feeling, however small in your body, look for a feeling of warmth inside you as you soak in the music. And he informed us that that warmth is the love of God. He said, focus only on that feeling so that it will grow and fill your body and you will experience the love of God. So as the music began to play, in response, I gently got off my chair and hightailed it out of Dodge. Uh, Here's why. The scriptures never instruct us to empty our minds and focus on our feelings as a means to experience the love of God. Quite the opposite. Listen, I'm I'm not down on feelings. God has created us as feeling people. Feelings are significant. I certainly had some wonderful feelings as we sang together earlier. They're significant. They matter. They are gifts given to us by God. But feelings are volatile. They are unpredictable. Rather than focusing on feeling, God's word informs us that it is not in emptying the mind, but in filling the mind with the glorious realities of who God is, and specifically who Jesus Christ is as revealed in and through the gospel as the pathway to knowing and experiencing the love of God. Now, to be sure, on the other hand, There have been and continue to be many Christians who know a whole lot of scripture, they know a whole lot of theology and walk around arrogant and touchy and sullen. There certainly is a kind of knowledge that merely puffs up and doesn't make its way down into the heart. Full-orbed, orthodox, biblical Christianity involves the head and the heart, and we never take our heads out of the equation. This morning, we embark on an eight-week study of the second letter of Peter. And Peter, we will find, comes to his original audience and to us with a burden. His burden is this, that we would grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
that we would fill our minds each day with the truth of the person and work and promises of Christ, not merely to gain more information, but as the means through which, empowered by the Spirit, our lives would be transformed and that we would grow to be more like Jesus in and through the knowledge of him that we fill our minds with. That is why his grand purpose is given to us as the last verse. So we'll look at the last verse before we look at the first verse this morning in 2 Peter 3.18. You can look down at it in your Bible where he says, but grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. That's his burden. Now, along the way, he will strongly oppose any who would stand in the way of Christians obtaining the truth. The bulk of this letter is denouncing and proclaiming judgment against false teachers who seek to confuse and undermine and corrupt the truth and therefore place a barrier between the Christian and the truth that prevents us from growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter wants us to know so that we would grow. Listen, do you need truth in this generation of cultural relativism and uncertainty? Do you need to be armed to stand firm on God's word in the face of false teaching and widespread error? Do you need grace to fight against your sin, grace to transform you to be more like Jesus in a world filled with daily temptations to compromise? That is what 2 Peter is for. As we enter our text, he extends his greetings. We don't know exactly who the letter was written for. It doesn't say. An informed guess is a church in Asia Minor, He wrote this letter around 65 AD, only a little over 30 years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. We know this because it was written at the end of Peter's life. Chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. So, Peter, the disciple of Jesus, Peter the rock, as his life draws to an end, carried along by the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter. So let's now turn to the second letter of Peter, paying careful attention to verses one through four, because this is the most important thing I will say in this sermon. Because in reading this text, I am repeating the word of the Lord. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Would you pray with me? How grateful we are, our Heavenly Father, that you have given to us your word. And so at the outset of our journey through this letter written by Peter as he was carried along by your spirit, inspired. We ask for your blessing as we read and study this book. I pray that not one of us would leave our weekly study of this book unchanged unaffected. I pray that you would do as you have promised, that your word would not return void, but have your intended effect on our lives. So we commit our study of 2 Peter to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get into it. Two points. Two points in this sermon. First, we'll look at his greeting, verses 1 and 2. And then the second point, we will look at the purpose that God has in giving us the precious and very great promises that we have in Christ. Because Peter wants us to know the grace of God and be transformed by his grace. So, first point, his greeting. Verse 1. Simeon Peter you may wonder, Simeon? Well, I thought it was Simon. Well, Simeon is the Jewish version of Simon, Peter, and he identifies himself here as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. A servant where that word more explicitly translated, it's a word that may offend some modern ears. He literally calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. He is the possession of Christ, and he is an apostle. He says he has been appointed by Jesus Christ as his messenger. An apostle means that he has been sent on behalf of Christ to speak in his stead to the church. In other words, this letter carries with it the authority of the risen and living Christ. And so he presents his credentials. He addresses his original audience, they are not specifically explained who they are, but likely Gentile converts in Asia Minor. He describes them as this. Those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's he saying here? He's explaining that for these and for every Christian, faith is a gift given by God obtained by his grace. And 
There are no favorites in God's family. This righteousness described here, he's describing it righteousness in terms of God's fairness, his justice, that he is impartial in the distribution of his grace. So Peter here at the outset in his apostolic role wants to make it clear he does not consider himself superior to the Christians he is ministering to. God doesn't play favorites. The weakest saint and the most mature who have put their faith in Christ stand before God equally loved and accepted. And so Michael Green commenting on these verses says, there is no distinction between believers. All alike are sinners who owe their presence in the heavenly city to the amnesty of the king. And so I would say this as well. I'm up here preaching. I am the lead pastor of this church. I am not in God's eyes more valuable or special than any of you. We all play the role we've been given according to the gifts and grace that have been given. Listen, God has given me authority as a pastor, but that authority is only in as much as I point to God's authoritative word and call you to it. Listen, I appreciate and I feel respect when others call me Pastor Ben. I once said in a spoofed email that went out to the church asking for gift cards from Best Buy, listen, I'll never do that. Uh, one way that you can know it wasn't me, it was signed at the end, Pastor Ben. Um, not because I'm hesitant to identify myself in that way, I am a pastor, but because I have a burden like Peter for all to understand that no one is more significant or special than another in the eyes of God. I mean, as I walk through this church on a Sunday, I'm just, I just, I understand I'm surrounded by people who know the grace of God, who are serving in quiet, ordinary ways. I have often over the summer sat in my office observing the mowing team. Listen, thank you, mowing team. You make our property look great. Sit in my office, see you guys out there sweating, working diligently. I am so grateful for servants such as these. Listen, even if you're not serving, if you are in Christ, all alike are sinners who owe their presence in the heavenly city only to the amnesty of the king. That's what Peter wants them to understand. We note as well that this is one of the clearest verses in scripture that testifies to the divinity of Jesus Christ. He is not only Savior, he is God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, as was typical in his day, he opens with a prayer for those whom he is addressing. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Peter understands and describes the glorious reality that Christians have obtained grace and peace in and through the faith described in verse 1 in Jesus Christ. 
And here he simply prays for more grace and more peace. Not to drop in out of the blue, he says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Remember, this is his burden. Their experience and every Christian's experience of grace and peace is obtained in knowing more of God. Learning and knowing more of Jesus our Lord. Let me make one point of application on these two verses. Benedictions, as we find in verse 2, prayers of blessing are found all throughout Scripture. It is why we end each service, and we will again as we conclude this service, with a benediction, a prayer of blessing. So, if you do not already, let me encourage you to cultivate benedictions in your daily life, to learn to talk the way Peter and the rest of the authors of inspired scripture talk with a a look in the eye. A God bless you with sincerity. It carries with it grace. That's how God has designed us to work. God delights to respond to prayers of blessing for his children, even if they are brief and simple. I encourage you, if you're a parent, to cultivate benedictions in your daily life with your kids. It is my joy often when I leave my house to take my children by the hand, to look into their eye and say, God bless you. And to see them experience something of God's grace in that moment. Let me encourage you to consider doing that as well with your children, with your spouse, with your friends. All right, second point. He gets now into the body of the letter. The purpose of promises, verses 3 and 4. So having extended his greeting to them, a greeting that in itself carries with it much theological richness, he quickly moves to the matter at hand, the content of his instruction. Verse 3. Let me suggest these next two verses. We're walking on holy ground. There are glories here in these two verses that we will not fully or sufficiently unpack. Verse 3, Jesus Christ in his divine power has granted to us, to every Christian, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Maybe he has not given to us all that we would like to have, but he has given us all that we need to live godly lives in this present age. That's what Peter is saying. And so Peter Davids in his commentary says, there is no excuse for not living a godly life, for believers have already received everything that is necessary to do so. Peter continues, this has been granted. Again, it has been given to us through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, he says what he will repeat elsewhere in the letter, the grace and the strength that we need for life and godliness is found in knowing Christ. 
knowing the one who has called us to his glory and excellence. And that calling described here, this isn't like Jesus saying, you who, over here, anybody want to come over to me? This calling represents what we find throughout the New Testament, the effectual, effective call of God in Christ through the gospel that results in regeneration and faith in Christ. So we see elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Or Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. In other words, if you were called in this way, you will be justified. Or 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved in the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here he's reminding the Christian of God's holy calling to himself in and through the gospel, through the knowledge of Christ, verse 4, that he has granted to us. And there's even more giving. Take a look again. He has granted not only this, but has granted to us, he has given to us his precious and very great promises. That is why the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why, that's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So, have you been called to the glory and excellence of Christ we are swept up into a world of promises made to us by God. All God's promises ratified in Christ. As sure as he has risen from the dead, they are sure. Very great and very precious promises. Only by and in and through the grace of God in Christ. All undeserved, all guaranteed to us in Christ. And so John Piper wonderfully writes, Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. Do you believe that? When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what he hears is, yes. Do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. All the promises of God. 
all the blessings of God in the heavenly places are yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God's decisive yes to all who believe. Very great, very precious promises, all ours in Christ. He concludes verse 4 by showing us the intended effect of these very precious and very great promises that he has given to us, that he has granted to us, that through them you may, became, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Takers in the divine nature. Really? Me? My sort of humdrum little life? Me? You know, there's all kinds of weaknesses, stupid sins. Me? Yes, you. Partakers in the divine nature. He's speaking here, not that somehow we become like little gods. He's speaking of our union with Christ, our indwelling with the Holy Spirit. Because through our faith in Christ, we are not simply saved from wrath in and through the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. Oh, that would be sufficient for us. But in reality, our hearts are brought to life in God. And though we deal with and fight against indwelling sin throughout our lives, his provision, his promises, his power at work in us, he says, have begun a rescue plan from the deadly, enslaving, corrupting power of sin. An escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, through our faith in Christ, we are brought into a new way of living in a world fueled by and driven by and shaped by sinful, enslaving desires and lust. Michael Green again says, the triple agency of the promises, the power and the person of the Lord Jesus regenerate a man and make him a sharer in God's own nature so that the family likeness begins to be seen in him. That's what Peter's talking about. Listen, Peter is not against desire. Desire is an attribute given to us by God. There is much that is desirable in the world. And it would be strange for the Christian not to desire good things. What he is describing here is what he calls sinful desire, which I would suggest means anything that we long for more than God himself. Doug Moo, in his commentary, says, participating in the divine nature is a great and precious privilege. Do you, do you feel the privilege that you are sitting in your chair experiencing at this moment? It is a great and precious privilege. 
through our union with Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we share in something of God's holy nature, separated from the corruption of the world around us. And it is precisely for that reason that we are called on to progress in holiness and godliness. Listen, here's something you can be sure of. Starting upon leaving this room, and certainly each day when you rise, you will be confronted by desire. You will be confronted with temptation to sinful desire. To desire anything that we long for more than God himself. Now certainly that can include explicit sins, sexual sin, materialism, just a little bit more money. No man can serve two masters. Self-promotion. Your driving motivation as you walk into school or you begin to post on Instagram is that others would applaud and approve of you. Living for the likes. Or it could be something good. To desire comfort and safety, which are very good things but to desire them in such a way that they become preeminent over what God is calling calling you to. Listen, we can be so risk-averse in the name of wisdom that what we end up doing is deflecting God's call on our lives to sacrifice. Each day, when you rise, Christian, you find yourself in a battle against the temptation to sinful desire. And listen, maybe you're listening to this and you you know exactly where that temptation is. You just immediately, right, and at this moment, it is in your head. You see it, you know it. There are things that you long for and desire more than God, and your life looks like it. Here's good news for you. If if you're experiencing conviction in your soul at this moment, that is not God's condemnation of you. That is a blessing. That is his love for you. That is his care for you because he is showing you where you can repent, where you can turn again to God and find grace not only to forgive your sin, but grace to empower you to rise from your seat more eager and strengthened to live for the glory of God. Listen, there is present here good news for all who do desire to be faithful. And if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ, experiencing the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in you, I know you desire to be faithful. And for all who desire to be faithful, we read here, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ. We note as well, the grace comes first. The promises come first. Make no mistake, we do not act our way. We do not earn our way into the promises of God. That is on the grounds of grace. But godliness is what follows. 
So let's be careful not to switch the order here, to somehow pursue godliness as a means for God finally to accept us. No, no, in Christ we are accepted, we are loved, we are secure, but for all those who are in Christ, who daily are focusing on his glory and excellence, we have an innate desire for godliness and he has given us what we need for godliness. His promises, his power, his spirit conforming us to the image of Christ as we begin to bear the family likeness and we live like what God has already declared us to be. So, three ways to apply this text. As you rise from your bed tomorrow morning, or as you leave this place and are faced with temptation, first, each day, each day, rejoice in your rescue. Each day, Remember what is described in verse four. You have been rescued. You have been rescued from the enslaving deadly power of sin by the grace of God. We do well each day to cultivate, even upon our rising, as the head pops off the pillow, to remember and rejoice, I have been rescued. I have been rescued by Christ. I have been rescued from futility and despair and emptiness and judgment and rescued into the promises of God. Rejoice in your rescue. Second, rehearse the promises. Do you see the priority that Peter places on promises when it comes to advancement in the Christian life? Listen, here's what you need. When you encounter temptation to sinful desire, here's what you need. You need some promises. You need to have promises ready. You need to be armed, ready with promises. You need to be able to say in that moment when you are tempted to click on that website, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. When you find yourself craving those things and sad Upset because you are not getting what you think you need. Remembering, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Listen, you, you, you need some promises. Do you have promises at the ready? Let me encourage you, find some promises. If you don't have promises, get some promises. When you come to your devotions in the morning, look for promises. There are great and precious promises throughout God's word. They are for you and they are to strengthen you to walk in faithfulness before God. Rejoice in your rescue. Rehearse the promises and rely on your faithful promise-keeping God. He's the one who's made all these promises. We may be tempted to think that he is a little bit like we are. We have some good intentions when we make a promise. Follow through, not always what it should be. He is not like us. <laughs> in many ways, but in this important way. He always keeps his promises. He will never fail to keep his promises. Rejoice in your rescue. Rehearse the promises and rely on your faithful God. Let me close with this.
Well, welcome to 2 Peter. This letter is graciously and kindly and generously given to us by God so that we are a church that in the days ahead will be more able and eager to fill our minds with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not as a means to ace the Bible quiz, but so that our hearts are transformed, so that we will have courage to stand in a world that is hostile to God and his Christ, so that we experience his transforming love and grace in and through the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All this in knowing the one who has called us to his own glory and excellence, promising what we sang earlier, all will be well. All in knowing him. That is why Paul says in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. May God work by his word in us so that we are echoes of that desire. Amen.